Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Quicksilver mini-sode. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, filling in for our great host, Mr. Clint Clarkson, host of the eLearning Alchemist podcast and, of course, host of Quicksilver. For today's mini-sode, our audio-only piece of Quicksilver content, I wanted to do a quick shout-out and analysis of how schools around the globe are implementing e-learning solutions during the coronavirus pandemic. And more so than unpack the specific platforms being launched, I just want to get an overview of how prepared schools were, how they're responding structurally, and what the bigger issues still are uh, for schools, for teachers, for parents, and for students to adapt to during this crisis. It's clearly uh, a time of crisis around the world. As more large buildings and businesses close their doors, obviously the demand for distanced learning, for online learning, and for retaining the structure of our education system has become a top priority. And that's what we're going to be exploring on the podcast today. Before we get into the response from educators, how set up were institutions for a large-scale transition to online learning? Well, a survey of chief online officers released by Quality Matters and EduVentures, it was released this week, sheds some light on that dynamic. The survey was conducted in spring of 2019 and showed 70% of respondents, again, which were chief online officers, 70% of them didn't have any training for students on how to study online. Though some regional private schools fared better when breaking down the data, closer to 50% uh, do have that online studying training in the regional private schools. Regional public schools were the ones that were least supported. So basically what we're seeing here is a lack of training infrastructure for students to best understand how they should approach online learning. I think that's part of the dynamic that often doesn't get explored. We're all talking about how can we even get these courses online? How can we prepare our teachers to give their coursework online? But not often are we thinking, do our students really know how to utilize these tools in an effective way? Do they know how to study while on Zoom versus in a classroom with 20 other kids? It's an important dynamic. In the survey, uh, educators were also found to have been slightly better prepared. Six in ten online learning administrators say that their campuses require professors to train before teaching online. So there is some training capacity, at least uh, broadly here, for teachers. The survey, however, also showed that most college professors produce their own online courses without additional instructional design infrastructure. One of the authors of the uh, Quality Matters survey, Ronald Leggan, he's the executive director emeritus of Quality Matters, he said it best, quote, I don't think there's a pipeline that could respond. That's a real problem if you're trying to do this at scale, end quote. And I think that is the reality we're seeing today. Though there might be some instructional design infrastructure already out there for a lot of schools, the biggest issue is how are we creating the coursework in the first place? And a lot of that is falling on the individual educators to record themselves, create PowerPoints, and to figure out how they're going to transition their workload to uh, an online learning environment. 
Without the support of instructional designers to guide coursework for teachers, not only is it difficult to scale, especially when you have uh, teachers or professors teaching multiple classes having to basically uh, reassess and restructure their entire course load, but it can create a lot of inconsistencies between teachers. If each teacher has a different style, a different approach to uh, you know crafting similar needed information for an entire grade, let's say, right? All of fourth grade history and there are four or five different teachers all trying to, um, you know, create their own course load. That is going to be a real difficulty when it comes to future standardized testing, when it comes to trying to understand if students actually learned the information, retained the needed information to move on to the next level, that kind of uh, dysfunction and lack of infrastructure is going to be tough. Unfortunately, though, many of these school districts didn't have a choice but to respond quickly and to try to do this at scale. So what are some examples of institutions launching responses to the coronavirus pandemic? Well, two of the largest states in the U.S. have had some varied experiences with this. We'll start with California. In the Bay Area, they're experiencing a mixed bag of responses due to some of the issues that we just highlighted. Some teachers have been able to ramp up video conferencing solutions and online lesson plans. Others don't have infrastructure at all and are sending emails with sporadic assignments and activities to keep their students busy. Districts like Santa Clara Unified have launched an efficient e-learning operation, creating digital instruction for middle and high schoolers uh, and making sure that folks are doing the work they need to do using a scheduling system that helps log teacher and student attendance. San Francisco schools, for example, are struggling to make technology meet their students' needs. They're waiting right now for about 8,000 Chromebooks to ship so they can distribute those to students. Other districts like Hayward Unified in the Bay Area are experimenting with elementary students to make online instruction still lighthearted and fun, making a digital spirit week with days like Make a TikTok Video Tuesday and Stay in Your PJs Friday. Texas has been dealing with many of the same challenges and rolling out some solutions of their own. Dallas ISD has already put together an online at-home learning guideline page uh, for both English and Spanish speakers, and this includes a lot of online coursework and resource recommendations to assist parents, to assist teachers, and students. Governor Abbott of Texas has also suspended all federal testing requirements for the 2019-2020 school year, which is changing the final stretch of instruction for many subjects, many of which spend these last several months of the school year preparing for statewide examination. With that reality off the table, now how are they going to recraft their strategy? Those are some of the questions we still need to be asking. And it seems that institutions across the globe are dealing with the same challenges and looking for similar solutions. So as we look forward, we still need to ask, what are the biggest roadblocks for e-learning at scale for primary, secondary, and collegiate education? The biggest one, in my opinion, is digital equity. The reality is that many school districts don't have the one-to-one technology needed for efficient online learning. Add on to that that many students don't have a robust set of at-home devices anyways. They don't 
have a laptop maybe, they don't have a smartphone, they might not even have stable Wi-Fi at home. This is especially true for rural school districts, for some inner-city urban school districts, and just underfunded schools in general. They don't have the resources to scale immediately, like we're seeing in San Francisco, waiting on shipments of, of laptops so that students can connect and do their coursework. That lack of digital equity across the board is going to be a huge inhibitor toward uh, getting this off the ground and making sure that students at every level and every school and every school district get the same kind of attention. They already haven't been getting that kind of equal attention. It's an issue that you know the education community uh, has obviously been trying to tackle for a long time, but this coronavirus pandemic is going to make that even more difficult. Another big roadblock is just going to be a lack of resources for students and teacher training. Like we saw in that survey, not a lot of students get the training they need to best understand how to study when they're learning online. Uh, you know, it's, it's just as much of a soft skill training as it is a hard skill training. So getting those resources implemented at scale is going to be difficult. And making sure teachers understand how to create their coursework at scale is also going to be a challenge. Not to mention the lack of instructional design infrastructure at a lot of schools and school districts is going to probably put the burden on teachers for now. So any kind of resource or support that teachers can get while they're crafting their own coursework is going to be essential. There also needs to be some expectation setting for all parties involved, and that includes parents. The reality is that with kids at home and with parents at home, parents are now having to supervise and become de facto uh, teachers or administrators of online learning. Uh, they don't necessarily need to be doing the education themselves, but they're going to be there to make sure things are moving along, and parents need to have expectations set uh, by the school district so that they understand what is it that you need to do as a parent to make sure that your student succeeds while they're doing online learning. Whether it's supervision, whether it's encouragement, whether it's checking up on coursework, all that kind of stuff is going to need to be communicated to all parties. Another roadblock is going to be embracing independent learning design. Independent learning design is the way to go, in my opinion, as we uh, deal with the social distanced learning of the COVID-19 outbreak, because as each student now has to learn at their own pace, quite literally, the instruction should reflect that flexibility. And the biggest reason is because without the structure of a school day, trying to keep that rigid structure is going to push some students away, especially students that don't have access to all the digital tools that would uh, let them retain that school day structure. So embracing independent learning, embracing a flexible schedule, giving students the opportunity to learn at their own pace during the day is going to be key and could be, uh, you know, a learning moment for teachers um, and educators in general on how they craft the classroom dynamic. And this might be a case for hybrid learning moving forward. And another big roadblock, just to put a cap on this, is the emotional cost of social distancing. A lot of young students need that uh, social interaction 
just as much as they need the hard skill learning. That's why school is so important. It's to create bonds. It's to create community. And friends are important to creating a healthy lifestyle for young learners. So without that, how are school districts and how are teachers retaining that kind of community and that kind of social interaction? We're seeing, for example, in the Bay Area, they're doing some fun TikTok and stay in your PJs Friday kind of uh, spirit week stuff. That's all good. Um, but, you know, how can we go beyond that? How can we encourage interaction between students and uh, retaining that sense of shared learning and community in um, the classroom, which is now a digital one? Folks, that does it for my e-learning alchemist mini-sode. Thank you for listening along. I hope these insights have been helpful as you are navigating the reality of online learning becoming a standard in primary, secondary, and collegiate education. For more e-learning alchemist content, make sure to check out the e-learning alchemist podcast, which is Clint Clarkson's main show. You can find that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're also watching Quicksilver, which airs only on MarketScale. You can find that by going to our website, marketscale.com, searching Quicksilver. You can also search Clint Clarkson or head to our Quicksilver main page for a breakdown of all of our previous episodes. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Thanks for listening.